going to be in Genesis 18, verses 16 through 33, and then we're going to peek ahead a little bit to Genesis 19, 27 through 29. I've enjoyed going through the book of Genesis. Some of our winter Texans are back in town. I would, if you want to catch up, uh, you can go to the sermons tab on our uh, website and type in the Genesis series and See what's been said up to this point anyway. Question. What would you do if you knew that Jesus was returning next week? What would you do if you knew that Jesus was returning next week? Now, as a Christian, you might be excited, right? I mean, it's going to be going to be a good day when we're finally done with this struggle with sin and that type of thing. But then you might begin to think of. Loved ones, friends, neighbors, family members who have not trusted Christ as Savior. And his return will not be good news. It will be judgment. Judgment is coming. And we live in that reality every day because we don't know when Jesus is returning. But judgment is coming. That's the title of the message this morning. Judgment is coming and as we come into Genesis 18, verse 16, the, the God of all possibilities has appeared to Abraham and Sarah, and he promised a child was going to be born in, a, in about a year. And uh, the question was raised by Sarah, how can this happen? And God says, nothing is too hard for me. Nothing can prevent God from fulfilling his promises to his people. And we took comfort in some of the promises that we have as Christians, that Jesus will save his people from their sins and various others that we looked at. But today, as God and the two angels that are with him are beginning to depart from Abraham, they're going to head towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we pick up on that. And what I'd like to do is we're just going to read verses 16 through 33. And then we'll make some observations about the passage after that. But let's just go ahead and read the complete uh, story here. It says, Then the men set out from there, that's the two angels, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see. Now, that phrase reminds us of when God came down to the Tower of Babel in Genesis eleven five, and he came down in judgment. He says, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? 
Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find at Sodom, 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, Abraham spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then Abraham said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again. But this once. Suppose ten are found there. And the Lord answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. And if we look to Genesis 19:27 through 29, it's all connected. This passage is all connected. I uh, even considered preaching the whole thing. And then I thought, well, two o'clock is probably a little late. To get out. But we look at Genesis 19, verse 27 through 29. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And because God has revealed that there is a final judgment coming, you should disciple others, both your children and other church members. You should disciple others to follow Jesus. You should intercede For the unsaved, and you should trust God to be just in judgment. That's what I want you to get from today's message. Because there is a final judgment coming, you should disciple others to follow Jesus, intercede for the unsaved, and trust God to be just in judgment. Here in our passage today, God has revealed a final judgment to his people. And if we go back all the way to chapter 13, verse 10... When Lot chose to move towards the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was described as Eden-like in its lushness. It was like Egypt. It was well-watered. It was a beautiful garden-like area. But the men of Sodom were described as being wicked. And so Sodom is very much like the world in its current state. Like we once had Edom, we had paradise, but paradise was lost. And so now this world is marred with sin. 
This was very much like Sodom. Sodom was Eden-like, yet it was marred with sin. We also can note the similarities with Babel and the flood. As as we've been going through Genesis, we've been trying to look at promise-filled patterns, but also phrases that call to remind us of other passages. And one of those is found, as I mentioned as we were reading, that God came down to Sodom. He came down to inspect it, just like it said in the Tower of Babel. Remember, they were trying to build a a tower up to the heavens, and it's uh, kind of ironic. God has to come down to the tower. But he judged the nations, disinherited them, gave them a plurality of languages and confused their languages and spread them across the earth. He came in judgment there. And we're not in the passage yet, but when we get to the passage uh, describing Sodom, we're going to there's just going to be all kinds of flood narrative language. There are a lot of similarities between Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood narrative in Genesis six. The big ones are that in Genesis, we had angels who desired uh, the, the women uh, of humanity and had intercourse with them. Here we have angels coming to the town and this time men are desiring intercourse with the angels. There's also the totality of wickedness that we see in uh, in Sodom. And so when we had when we had when we looked at Genesis six in the flood, this was a picture of the final judgment. And God says, the next time I destroy the world, I'm not going to destroy it with water. Well, how is he going to destroy it? Well, we get a little preview of it here in Sodom and Gomorrah's story. He's going to just destroy it with fire the next time. And we find that in Second Peter, chapter two, verse six, where Peter writes, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. See, judgment is coming. And so when we see in the Old Testament these connection points back to the flood, the flood then points us forward to the final judgment. God has revealed a final judgment to his people. Since the destruction of Sodom and the flood are connected by their similar language, we should ask, well, what's different about the two accounts? What new information is given in our passage today that differs from the flood account? In the flood account in Genesis 6, 8, God chose to show grace to Noah and his family. We read Genesis 6, 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God still had a promise of a seed of the woman that was going to crush the head of the serpent and bless the nations. And he still had to fulfill it. And so he gave grace. He gave favor to Noah in the destruction of Sodom. Lot is going to be spared and Lot in the New Testament is called righteous. When we read the account, we're going to question that based on his actions. But why is Lot spared? We need God's grace to be spared from judgment. We get that from the flood narrative with Noah. But why is Lot spared? Well, because Lot had someone to intercede on his behalf. Look again at Genesis 19, verse 29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered who? 
Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So our text today introduces the idea of an intercessor. Abraham intercedes for Sodom based on there being righteous people in it. Lot and his daughters are spared judgment with the wicked because God remembered Abraham's intercession for them. Now, there's a final judgment coming, and we don't need Abraham to intercede for us. We need the seed of Abraham, Jesus, to intercede for us, to spare us from God's judgment. Jesus is our intercessor. We come to Jesus by grace through faith. We repent of our sins and we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, our King who will deliver us from the judgment through his death, burial and resurrection for our sins. Jesus is the promised offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is the promised offspring to Abraham who will bring the blessing of salvation to the nations. He offers Gentiles a part in Abraham's nation, in God's nation, if they but repent of their sins and place their faith in him as their saving king. And when we come to Christ as our Lord and Savior, he then intercedes for his people. Romans eight thirty four says this, who is to condemn? In other words, there, there are people who know me. They grew up with me or they've been around me and they know that I'm not totally, completely righteous. I know for some of you, that's a real shock. But I'm not. But I'm not relying on my righteousness to be pleasing to God. And so Paul asked this question, who's going to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. We have an intercessor. And that intercessor is not like the priests of the Old Testament who intervened between God for the people. They would die and they would pass away. And the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 7.25 argues that because Jesus is an eternal being because he doesn't die. He's the final priest that we need. And we read in Hebrews 7:25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. In our day, not just in our day, <coughs> in all days, there are certain parents that intercede for their kids Right. Kids get in trouble. They intercede for them. They try to cover up or undo their mistakes and that type of thing. But there comes a day when mom and dad pass away or mom and dad can't be there. The children move away and we can't we can't solve all their problems. We can't do undo all their errors. And there comes a day where we just we can't do it for our children. There's never a day when Jesus Christ will stop being able to intercede for his people. He ever lives to intercede for us. Oh, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, make today the day. 
repent of your sins that have brought God's wrath against you and trusting Christ's sacrifice on your behalf to satisfy God's wrath against your sin and follow Him as your King and your Savior. He will lead you to be more like Him until one day He takes us to be like Him. Trust Christ today. Don't wait. Judgment is coming. Now, for Christians, as Abraham interceded for Sodom, we too are to intercede for others. We have an example. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceable and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you know unsaved people? Intercede for them. Ask God to save them. Why? Why should Christians intercede for others? Because we have this idea of a remnant of righteous people being able to spare a city from God's judgment. This is the first time it's introduced in the Scriptures. We find it throughout the Scriptures after this. But because a remnant of righteous people within a city or a state or a country, or I would even say in a business, can spare those places from God's judgment. Intercede for the unsaved. We look at this world and sometimes we think, man, that guy's wicked and he's used his wickedness to build this business. And why does he get away with this? And God is allowing him to get away with it because he's taking care of his people. He tells Abraham, he says, for their sake, he says, if there's 50, he says, for their sake, I will spare the city. A Christian remnant can spare God's judgment. The Lord is willing to allow the wicked to continue while his righteous remnant remains in their midst. A Christian remnant can spare a city, state, country or business from judgment. But what about the case of Sodom? Again, because it's such a large passage, we're we're having to peek ahead a little bit. But if you look at Genesis 19, verse four, you know, Abraham goes through this bartering with God, if you will. What about this many people? What about this many people? And he finally lands on ten people. And Abraham probably thinks to himself, well, with Lot there, you know, you got Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And I heard that his daughters were engaged to be married. So there's two more guys. That's six. I mean, surely they've influenced four other people to follow the Lord. But look at Genesis 19, verse 4. The angels have arrived. They've been invited into Lot's house. It says, but before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old. What's that next phrase? All the people to the last man surrounded the house. Not one, not one is found. It was thoroughly corrupt. God is going to be just in his judgment of Sodom. And we'll look at that more here in a couple weeks. But it was thoroughly corrupt. So, as Christians, we know that there's a final judgment of the world coming. We're just not sure when. What are we to be doing 
as we await God's final judgment of the world. We'll look at Genesis 18, verse 19. What about Christian activity in the meantime? <clears throat> when God is talking out loud to himself about revealing his plans to Abraham, it says in Genesis 18, 19, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. We're reminded of Genesis 17 when the Lord God Almighty appeared to Abraham and he says, walk before me in righteousness. As Christians, we've been grafted into God's people as the church. Right? We're told about that in Romans and so as God's people, we're to do as Abraham did. Because God has revealed there's a final judgment, we should disciple others to follow Jesus. We should intercede for the unsaved and trust God to be just in judgment. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents, let me speak to you for a minute. It is your responsibility to raise your children in the nurture and the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. Your life and everything that you do, according to Deuteronomy 6, should reflect the Lord and the fact that he is the God of your life. And that he is important and that he is to be loved and he is to be served. And his ways are the ways of your home. And men, you're to lead in that. And so, do it. Do it. Have your children here for Sunday school. Have your children here for church. Have your children here on Wednesday nights where we're going to help you. We, as Faith Baptist Church, are come, going to come alongside you and, and teach them in the ways of the Lord. But then you and your home teach them by your actions and then some kind of study. Read to them about the Bible. If you need resources, talk to Tad or myself. And we'll help you to get some resources that are age appropriate, that you can do some devotions with your families at home. Because, beloved, judgment is coming. And we don't want our children to be on the wrong side of that judgment. We can't save our kids, but we can point them to the one who can. And it's your responsibility. Take it seriously. Now, it's not just parents, right? Because some of you are sitting here and you're just like, when I said I want to speak to the people with kids, you're like, mine are grown and out of the house. What do we call one another around here? Brothers and sisters. Hmm. You think we've got a responsibility for our brothers and sisters? Or are we like Cain? Am I my, am I my brother's keeper? 1 Thessalonians five fourteen and 15. Paul writes, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. See, we're not just supposed to disciple our kids. We're to disciple one another. We have the tagline or whatever you want to say, following Jesus together at Faith Baptist Church. We're to help one another follow Jesus. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Some of you are here this morning, brothers and sisters, and you are lured and enticed by Satan to partake in sin. And I want to admonish you, don't give in. Don't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10, 23 through 27. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Right. And we looked at that the last time we were in Genesis. We have promises that we can believe, even though it's hard to believe them sometimes. And let us consider how to Stir up one another to love and good works. So we're to encourage one another and encourage one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you recognize that there's there's a day of judgment coming? And every day we're one day closer to it. Don't neglect Gathering together, don't neglect encouraging one another. Why? Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Judgment is coming, beloved. Don't back away now. We're one day closer to the Lord's return. Keep on keeping on. Keep on representing Him. Keep on bearing His image to others. Keep on training others. Keep on interceding for the lost. And trust that when God returns, He will judge faithfully. Because when Christ returns, God will be just. In his final judgment, Abraham asked the question, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And we peeked ahead in our text and saw that God was just in his judgment of Sodom. There was not a single man besides Lot who was considered righteous. God will be just in the final judgment when it comes as well. Look at Matthew 11, verse 23. And we're jumping into the middle of some woes here that Jesus is pronouncing upon the cities in which he's done good works like he he was the seed of the woman. He was the promised seed of Abraham and he came and he was previewing God's glorious kingdom by healing people, casting out demons. And he was rejected. He was not believed upon. And when he, and he, we jump into verse 23 and he's talking about the city of Capernaum. He says, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. God's judgment will be fair. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 
Here's our revealing. God has revealed to Christians that there is a judgment day coming. Verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. God chooses to save people. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've never understood the gospel. And perhaps this morning God wants to save you. Because right after Jesus says that he's the one who reveals the Father, he makes this invitation. And this invitation is open to you right now. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you want to be saved this morning? Maybe today, for the first time in your life, you realize your sin and that there is a final judgment coming. And your only hope to avoid that judgment is to repent of your sin and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you do that? Come to Christ. Don't try to work for your salvation. Come to Jesus. He's done it all. You'll find rest for your souls. You see, there's coming a final judgment. And as a sinner, you need a savior that's going to intercede to God, the father on your behalf. As Abraham interceded for Lot, you need Christ to intercede for you. Won't you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus as your Lord? Judgment is coming, Christian. We don't know when, but we know God keeps his promises. And because God has revealed there's a final judgment coming, you need to be about disciplining or excuse me, discipling others, your children. Yes, but not just your children, your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need one another. Who are you investing in? Who are you encouraging? Who are you helping to follow Jesus? You need to disciple others, but you need to intercede for the unsaved. We all know people. We all have family members and friends and co-workers who are unsaved. And they are just ignorantly going down the wide path that leads to destruction. We don't know how much time they have left. We don't know how much time anybody has left. But we know that Christ is coming. And for believers, that's a good thing. But for unbelievers, it's judgment. Intercede for the unsaved. And then trust God to be just in his judgment. Judgment is coming. What will you do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you have provided a way to escape your wrath and your judgment through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins and then his resurrection to be our living Lord who intercedes for us. Daily, and that his intercession never ends because, Father, we need it. Father, I pray for those in our midst here who have never trusted you as your Savior. Lord, open their eyes today. Help them to see their sin and see the Savior. And to repent and place their faith in you for salvation. And, Father, for our families here with children in their homes, I pray that they will be serious 
about training their children up in the discipline and admonition of you. Because judgment is coming. We want to see our children saved. And so we want to point them to you with our life and with our lips. And so I pray, strengthen our families. And then, Father, for the folks who don't have children in the home anymore, I pray that we will be about helping these families with children, but also helping one another. Oh, we are our brother's keepers. And so I pray that you will help us to take responsibility to help others grow in the grace and knowledge of you. And that by our life and by our lips, we will represent you well to others and help others and encourage others to follow you and be faithful to you, to be strengthened in you. And then, Father, we trust and know that you will be faithful in judgment. Some people deserve hell more than others, but nobody deserves heaven. And so I pray, help us to introduce people to Jesus who saves us. And in him, we are worthy of salvation and forgiveness. And it's in his name we ask these things. Amen.